When you're lost in the darkness, look for the pod. Specifically, the Prestige TV podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, where we're breaking down every new episode of HBO's The Last of Us. On Sunday nights, grab your battery and join Van Lathan and Charles Holmes for an instant reaction to the latest episode. Then head back to the QZ on Tuesdays for a deep dive with Joanna Robinson and Mallory Rubin. From character arcs to video game adaptation choices, story themes to needle drops, we'll parse every inch of this cordyceps-coated universe. Watch out for mouth tendrils and follow along on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. It is Thursday, February 2nd. Happy Groundhog Day. It's only been about three months since James Gunn and Peter Safran were named the stewards of all things DC at Warner Brothers Discovery. If you haven't followed this stuff, Gunn is the Guardians of the Galaxy filmmaker and Safran is a veteran producer. And together they were hired as a somewhat unconventional team for DC with a mandate to replicate the Marvel model at Disney where there's one continuous storyline that flows through films, TV series, animation, games, and more. DC until now has operated in little fiefdoms. The CW had the Arrowverse, all those Greg Berlanti shows. In film, there was the Snyderverse, the connected universe of Justice League characters, the Batman movies from Chris Nolan and now Matt Reeves, and the hard R-rated Joker movie from Todd Phillips, which is getting a sequel. Bunch more. The result was, for the most part, financially successful for Warner Brothers. A few misses here and there, like the recent Black Adam movie with Dwayne Johnson, but big hits like Aquaman, which has a sequel in the can, and others. But it wasn't Marvel, the greatest franchise phenomenon in Hollywood history. And creatively, DC's been kind of muddled. Multiple Batman, too many shows and animated series, no unified vision. This past year, a Batgirl movie that was so bad it was deemed unreleasable and written off for a tax credit. So this week, we got the first download from Gunn and Saffron on the new DC at a press event on the Warner lot. I wasn't there. I really try to avoid going to these kinds of staged promotional reveals masquerading as news. They remind me a little of Comic-Con, which is basically the worst place on earth. But my buddy Boris Kitt from The Hollywood Reporter was there, and there was a lot for him to report. We won't go into all the projects announced. I'm sure other pods, I'm sure The Watch with Chris and Andy will do a nice job of breaking that down. There's a new young Superman movie that Gunn is writing himself, a potential Wonder Woman prequel, another crack at Green Lantern. For our purposes, we're interested in the business of DC and what this new direction reveals about the future of that very important unit. Gunn seemed pretty confident. He used his time to trash the previous regime at DC, calling them effed up and saying that Henry Cavill was, quote, dicked around by the leadership. Not your average studio executive press conference. 
There was a lot to parse in the DC presentation, so I brought Boris in to break it down from a business perspective, to discuss how this changes the trajectory for DC, who wins and loses, can they ever catch Marvel, and should they even be trying? From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Boris Kidd. He's a senior reporter at The Hollywood Reporter and covers all things comic books and comic book movies. Welcome, Boris. Thank you, Matt. Yes, we're friends. We used to work together, and we often would have these conversations in the THR newsroom uh, where I would not understand what's going on with a comic book movie, and you would tell me everything that I need to know. And so let's let's just bring that conversation here. So, you know, this this big reveal was that the... The phase one, they're not calling it phase one because that is what Marvel has. They're calling it chapter one, Gods and Monsters, which is somewhat hilarious to me because it feels a little bit like the McDonald's ripoff in Coming to America, McDowell's. It's like, well, they got the Big Mac. We've got the Big Mick. They've got the Golden Arches. We've got the Golden Arcs. This is the phase one of DC and they just laid into it. So give us your impression of the press conference, reveal, whatever you want to call that. I have to wrap my head around it, right? Because they they throw they threw out so much information. Mm-hmm. Like they had, a, you know, a, a 10 title movie and TV slate. They talked about, they touched about, talked about everything from Zachary Levi, you know, and his Vax comments to right. Ezra, the Ezra Miller, Miller saga. Yeah. You know, the previous regime, they talked about you know some what he learned on Marvel. They talked about his approach, how the script is the thing. You know they don't. He doesn't want to get to the to the movies to you know to production and there's third act problems and things like that. You know they are getting rid of the previous incarnation of DC. Those CW shows, the Arrowverse, the Greg Berlanti stuff, gone. All of the Snyderverse stuff, other than the movies that are already in the can that they can't do anything about, all of that is gone. We're going to have a new Superman. We have a, we have not the Patty Jenkins Wonder Woman. We have a prequel Wonder Woman. Uh, all of this is new. And that's what you need to do. If you're going to do something like this, you have to do a pretty hard reboot. You got to wipe the sl- slate clean as much as you can. Why? I mean, it's not like these movies were unsuccessful. Aquaman grossed a billion dollars. I mean, the the Batman movies are doing really well, and those will continue. We were told that you know the DC has had successes. That's that's the the thing that I don't quite understand about this strategy is that it's not like it was broken. They have had flops, and the you could argue that the creative direction wasn't great at DC, but they made a lot of money on these movies, and it just wasn't Marvel. That's the, really the only problem here. And and you could argue that they were heading towards a Marvel-like direction under Walter Hamada, who, with The Flash, was going to reset everything and set everything up going forward to be a, a lot more interconnected. A movie which, by the way, James Gunn said is perhaps the best superhero movie ever made during this press conference. So then that begs the question, if it's if it's so great, why are you scrapping everything that's supposed to come after it? Zaslav has some kind of weird idea that he wants something to he wants Marvel and Marvel is is everything is interconnected. And quite frankly, that's now what James Gunn and Peter Safran have done. They've unveiled a plan 
that connects TV and movies together in one big overarching, I guess, story. And that's going to continue for the next eight to 10 years. One of the quotes that, that Gunn had was uh, explaining the strategies said, one of our strategies to, is to take our diamond characters, which is Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and we use them to prop up other characters that people don't know. Okay, well, great. Welcome to superhero movie making. That's Marvel's been doing that. DC's been doing that forever. And is is that a real reinvention of the genre? Like, okay, of course. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna do us a, a penguin show based on the Batman movie that's already in development. They're, you know, is, so is this Superman movie that he's writing, is that going to plant a bunch of other characters that will then get spin-offs? Probably. That's sort of franchise management 101, right? Yes and no, because DC has not really done that stuff at all or or very well in the last several years well they did peacemaker based on his suicide squad show or movie well yes that's that that's him but if you look at the slate look at you know you have a, a side character that's what we call him a side character but booster gold he's like a, a, a character who is a bit of a head scratcher and he's going to get his own his own where is he appearing he's going to be he's getting his own tv series but where does he appear first oh he he appeared in the mid 80s in a booster gold comic oh no but he's not like going to be in the superman movie and then getting his own show he's getting his own show he's getting his own show okay i have no idea what that character is and then he's a time traveler from the future and he's a hard character to write but gun uh seems to have a a, a cool take on him which which could work gun himself but like th this is just him like what if they, they've got to bring in talent to work on these projects. I know they had a writer's room that helped them break down what these shows were going to be. And, you know, this is only the beginning. They're probably working with talent and trying to get people signed. So they've, got, they've got James Mangold. They have James Mangold. Do, hopefully, if they can close the deal, James Mangold doing a Swamp Thing movie. Right. After his next two movies. So great. 2027, we might see that. Well, yes, but all these movies are like two and a half to three to four years away. Like okay. nothing. This is this is why it's an interesting thing is that these guys in three months have pulled together a pretty remarkable slate for what they've done in three months. And they're they're working fast. See, I, I'm a little more skeptical on this. It's a slate, but there's not much talent attached other than Gun Gun himself. You know, it's it's a it's very easy to convene a writer's room. And say, okay, give us 10 projects that we should do. And then to put together a press release and put it out. It's a lot harder to say, yeah, here are our 10 projects. And by the way, here are the A-list filmmakers and stars that are associated with those projects. That we have not seen yet. No, because also it's been three months. It's If they would have had stars and filmmakers, that would have been unprecedented to do that something that mm -hmm. quick. Well, what did Marvel do? Did When Marvel was getting started, did they have a huge slate of announced stars and filmmakers right from the get-go? Marvel, when they announced their first initial slate, they had directors involved. They they had Edgar Wright, who, of course, never ended up making his Ant-Man movie. They had Louis Leterrier, who did make The Hulk. But those were, you know, one or two movies. So one or they two had Ken movies. Branagh and Thor. Like, that was after, once Iron Man was a hit, for Marvel, then they went nuts and then they set this whole slate, right? If I remember correctly. 
Well, I, I not to toot my own horn here, but I, I did do the very first Marvel Studios panel uh, at Comic-Con. Oh, my year, favorite place that I will never go back to. <laughs> a year before Iron Man came out, and that was a panel that did have the directors of Louis Leterrier and Edgar Wright. Oh, so they had set these directors before Iron Man came out. Yeah, they, they had like a bunch. But again, having a director on some of this stuff doesn't always mean that the movie gets made because on that panel, the year before Iron Man came out, the Edgar Wright was talking about Ant-Man. And by the time Ant-Man happened many, many years later, he was gone. Yeah. So, well, he had a falling. There was a whole falling out on that. Let's get back to DC here because they are clearly trying to set a path that will make investors in Warner Brothers Discovery feel confident about the future of DC. They see it as a an engine for growth at the company. Dave, as you mentioned, David Zaslav has wanted a clear vision. It's something that he can talk about to investors. I I just wonder if you came away from that panel, that presentation, thinking, okay, this is this is solid. This is some this is a plan. They can they can sell this. I mean, I'm not I'm not an investor, so I, I look but at the it investors as, look at your coverage because they don't know what the hell these characters are. They just want to hear that Zaslav has a plan. And you know what? When I look at that stuff, I go, you know what? Gunn is has found some cool characters. And in the end, of course, all this is execution based. I, am I excited about a Swamp Thing movie? Yes, I think that could be really cool. The authority, you don't even know who the authority is, but if you get a, some cool actors and a cool filmmaker, that could be a pretty a cool extreme look at a, at superheroes, and 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 DC has a ton of this stuff that never seems to get very far because everyone is always focused on like the core five heroes. And I'm going to use a football uh, football analogy where it's like you know every time you get a Batman movie going or a Superman movie going, it's always like same villain, and it's the same origin story, and like you, they don't get more than the first ten yard lines with. Really? Are you really trying to make a sports metaphor here? Yes. Um, I, I am yes. seeing right through this. You, you just stop. You're not getting um, that. It's like college football. Every single year, the championship is is two SEC teams. It's right. Alabama versus Georgia. Thank you, so we all thank know. you, Craig. Thank you, Craig, for stepping in there. Boris is not a sports guy. Um, and then, and then, but with with James's James Gunn's slate, all of a sudden, boom! You're like in the middle of the field, and then and and you're right. Oh, you're keeping going with this. I'm keeping going with this. <laughs> So you so you're saying this is a this is a steady march to the goal line. They will not need the Superman movie to be a hail mary. Trust me, the the Superman movie is going to have to make a billion dollars to be successful. So, okay, so does Aquaman too. I mean, the Superman movie. It seems like they're putting so many eggs in that basket that it's got to be like extraordinary. Yes, that's totally true. It 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 has to be good. I mean, there's so much pressure to do a Superman movie. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. 
The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Let's talk about gun in particular here and some of the comments and the presentation that he made. I I just don't understand why he gets up there and starts trashing the former regime. Um, that's sort of like the, the bridge too far. People don't typically do that. Um, I know the Warner Brothers Discovery guys have tried to talk about all the awfulness that they inherited from the previous regime, but they're not using the language that Gunn has. He said, I like Henry. He's referring to Henry Cavill. I think he's a great guy. I think he's getting dicked around by a lot of people, including the former regime at this company. He's not even correct. The whole Henry Cavill saga was Mike DeLuca and Pam Abdi, who currently run Warner Brothers, allowing The Rock to put Henry Cavill in Black Adam, overruling the previous regime in Walter Hamada. So that was on them that they allowed Cavill to be in that movie, right? Yes. Um, And then he says about some of the other executives, no one was minding the mint. They were giving away IP like they were party favors at any creator who smiled at them. I I just, you know, why? why? I, I guess you're just trying to set yourself up here. Like, what is he doing here? Well, that's that goes to this thing of like, you know, there's never been these two guys as executives running a major studio arm, right? Meaning a filmmaker with no filter. Yes, a filmmaker with with very active Twitter thumbs. A guy who is literally fired from a movie for bad tweets. Right. And so these two guys, they're they're unvarnished, and now they're at the head of, of you know, now they're executives. Yet still very much with one foot into the filmmaking process, because as opposed to say, again, I'm going to bring up Kevin Feige, because that's sort of the analog here. You know, Kevin doesn't sit down and write scripts. Gunn is writing Superman. He's already written the entire series of Preacher Commandos, and he's leading a writer's room to, to figure all this stuff out. Plus, he's going to be directing some of this stuff. So Plus, he's on Twitter attacking fans and telling reporters like yourself that they got stuff wrong. Sure. <laughs> so obviously some of his comments are not going well uh from you know from the town already. Yeah, you're hearing that too. I mean, I I I'm getting people saying like what the hell? Look, you can you can you can suggest that previous people who ran Warner Brothers on the movie side did not have a cohesive policy or or made bad movies or movies that weren't successful, but you know, no one, no one goes out to make bad movies, right? You know, look, Zack Snyder had a whole 10 year plan and, and, you know, they were going to do, you know, all these, you know, several movies a year or one movie a year up to 2020. Remember Cyborg was going to have his own movie and all that stuff like completely went away. So, well, that probably went away when Ray Fisher started claiming that the executives were racist at Warner (laughs) Brothers. Well, that that all that stuff went away after Justice. It's kind of amazing how many DC movies have been embroiled in scandal. I mean, if you go through it, it's just it's extraordinary with Ezra Miller and now the Zach Levi stuff, and then 
all the drama with Amber Heard on Aquaman and Ray Fisher claiming racism and the Zack Snyder bowing out of the movie because he had this personal tragedy. It's 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 pretty unbelievable when you consider that Marvel doesn't have any of that stuff. Although I guess Chadwick Boseman dying is a pretty big hurdle, but they don't have any of this like, you know, scandal yeah, they, type, they, they, type they stuff. They have Letitia Wright. Sure, Letitia Wright may or may not have been anti-vax and held up the production. But okay, fine. It got made, it got released, it was successful. Yes, but but I would argue that despite the, some of these controversies, no one knows really who Ezra Miller is. Outside of LA and New York, no one knows and no one cares. I agree with you. I, and I've gotten some shit for this because I have said that the Ezra Miller thing, while awful and you know, clearly uh, Ezra Miller has problems, this has not become a scandal that is going to take down this movie yet. Maybe it will, but it certainly hasn't yet. And this is something that Warners can manage. Right. Provided no serious crime has yeah, been. Exactly. Which we committed. don't know if, if it just stays what we know right now. I love that they're saying that they have this unified vision for all of DC, but there will be these outside movies that are called Elseworlds. There were. This is a fake word they just made up. Elseworlds. Hey, they didn't make it up. Elseworld <laughs> Comics is a big thing. Oh, okay. Tell, tell me, please. No, uh, Elseworlds is is a way that DC has been doing uh, these off, sort of off continuity stories for mm. many decades. Like one of the first Elseworlds books was called Gotham by Gaslight, which was a Victorian Batman going up against Jack the Ripper. So okay. it's basically it's it's a way to differentiate these stories and have them be have tell cool stories that fans can love and you can have cool creators doing them, you know, but they don't necessarily are, are they're not part of the sort of main continuity of, of the overall story. Who are the winners and losers here? Who wins? Who loses? Clearly Greg Berlanti is a loser here because he had a grip on the DC intellectual property for all those CW shows. And he's out the green lantern show. He's been working on forever, not happening. And it's like, see, yeah, we don't want that anymore. Uh, who else are winners and losers? On some level, the losers are producers who were circling projects. Meaning producers who have been attached to the previous iteration of these DC movies? Yes. Like, are they going to still keep using Chuck Roven on a lot of these, you know, uh, Superman major character movies? Are they going to move on from him? I think there's those are going to have to be negotiated, right? You're going to yeah. they're going to be negotiating with Chuck Roven on on stuff, you know, on these legacy producers. Right. But you know what? That's legacy producing is is a problem not just at DC or Warner Brothers. It's it's a problem around Hollywood. Right. You got all these old guys who have been attached to projects in perpetuity because they made a movie many many years ago, and maybe there needs to be fresh voices on these movies. I agree. That's a that's a potential loser here. Uh, another one, I think a winner is Gunn himself. I mean, it's very clear that he is putting himself as the creative talent at the center of this. We, he doesn't like the term, the gun verse, and that sounds weird to me, but we got to start acknowledging that this is his vision and it will be called the gun verse when we, these, when these movies start coming out. True. Because he's, he has a hand in all of this stuff. He's, he's, you know, writing Superman. He's already written creature commandos, which is an animated series. He's he's got his finger in the pie story wise on all of this stuff. So 
he is on some level the creative mastermind, even though there's a writer's room and, you know, filmmakers are going to have a strong voice and he wants to that. But at the end of the day, he's the one that's got to, is going to be guiding this. And literally that's why they hired him. I mean, it's not like this is, he's overstepping his bounds here. I mean, they had a choice and they specifically went with a filmmaker paired with a adult in the room to get this kind of creative vision that DC in their minds has been lacking and that Marvel has had, right? By the way, there's no, there's almost no one at his level that no, it has such a deep love and deep understanding of these comics and, and the creators and the history. So is this a winnable war? That's what I wonder in all this is that clearly they're trying to catch Marvel and previously they had a different strategy where they were just exploiting their intellectual property to how, however they could across whatever platform. This is a new direction to try to catch Marvel. Is that a winnable war and should they even be trying? On some level, it's not a winnable war because Marvel has been doing this for 15 years. So if you're trying to catch up to Marvel, if you're trying to catch up to all the billions of dollars and that has been made by Marvel and all the merchandise that has already been made, you're not going to because it's too much of a head start. But if you can create something that people are excited about and that will go to the movies and 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 watch and then go to Six Flags and and ride whatever rides they make and the Riddler and, roller coaster that has nothing to do with the Riddler. <laughs> then then you know what? Then that's a win. Boris. Yeah. Yes. Craig, please weigh in here. People think the superhero market's already pretty saturated, right? Being a devout Marvel fan or even a relatively committed Marvel fan is almost like having a part-time job nowadays. Do you think normal people, like the people who go to see a Black Panther or a Thor when they have a free weekend, are going to have time to commit to an entirely new complex cinematic universe? Well, okay, on that question, the question is, is there superhero fatigue? Is this just, it, the, the market will be oversaturated with basic, we're now doubling the output of superhero content into the world. Well, on some level, we're oversaturated with everything. We're oversaturated with Star Wars. We're oversaturated with Marvel. And these people know that. So I, I think there may be a pullback with, with the DC stuff. They would like to ramp up and have two DC movies and two DC series, I think, a year which does not seem that excessive. Marvel's doing what? Three movies and four series? Three movies and three? Well, because what? The average person goes to a movie, what, three times a year? So now they're going to have to decide between six, five, six superhero movies? That's true. Um, the average viewer doesn't, the average moviegoer only does see two to three movies a year. It's not like... Yeah, but these movies are made for the hyper moviegoers, the ones who will see six superhero movies a year. Well, they are, but they're all. But they, for these movies to be successful, they have to they have to go grab that person that only goes sees sees the you know three movies a year. So all of a sudden, it's going to be a battle for that person is going to have to choose one DC movie, one Marvel movie, and you know, whatever what else they want to see. And God forbid an, an original movie that came out. No, exactly. never stop. Shut your mouth. <laughs> so. <laughs> But going to see a movie is a problem for everybody. This isn't going to be a Warner Brothers DC problem. Like you are going to have to build buzz no matter what movie you make, whether it's a horror movie, romantic comedy, drama, whatever. You, If you have a cool movie, whether it's The Authority or a Supergirl and whatnot, 
that is going to be the marketing movies department and the quality of the movie department to get the buzz going of like, wow, you really got to see this movie because it's really good. You have to make this stuff stand out and be unique enough that it doesn't feel like you're just watching the same thing over and over again. Like Black Adam. I lasted 10 minutes. <laughs> like, come on. I, we, I've seen that a million times. It was not fun. Um, all right, Boris, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. You're you're more bullish on DC than I am, but you know this stuff better than I do too. So we'll see if you're right. Well, we'll see in uh, 2025, right? Yeah, you and I, you'll be standing there telling me what's going on in these movies and what the, what was that character that you mentioned? Booster Gold. The Booster Gold. You'll have to give me a download on Booster Gold. All right, thanks much. All right, we're back with the call sheet. Craig, some interesting movies in theaters this weekend. That's one way to put it. <laughs> we'll talk about the Shyamalan movie, the M. Night Shyamalan movie, A Knock at the Cabin, which is supposed to gross about $17 million. I'm going to take the under on that. I don't think that there's a huge demand for this movie, but that's not the movie we're talking about. We got to talk about 80 for Brady. <laughs> which begs the question, did Tom Brady retire as a promotional stunt to get people to see this movie? Uh, I'm betting the timing was not a coincidence. Uh, he, you know, was at the premiere and then the video appeared and he's got a lot of attention for it. Uh, this movie is an interesting one because I think you and I look at it and you're like, how did this happen? Really? Like this was a movie that was generated by a company called Fifth Season, which is a production company that grew out of Endeavor, the talent agency, WME, which coincidentally also represents Tom Brady. Oh. So this was this is a script that they developed and Paramount came in and financed and picked up the movie and they said, you know what? There is a weekend between the championship games and the Super Bowl where we could put this movie out, plug the crap out of it on football the week before, and maybe people will show up for this. It's a $28 million budget and maybe they can get to 10 million. The tracking is 10 million. And I am going to, I can't believe I'm saying this. I am going to say, I'm going to take the over. Do you know a single person in your life who honestly, earnestly wants to see this movie? I, I don't, but that's sort of why it might do okay. Because this movie is not for me, it is not for you. But I do think it's it's for more than just the geriatric female NFL fan out there. I think that older audiences in general might think it's cute and might like Tom Brady and might say, okay, let's do it. I've heard there's a long dramatic monologue by Tom Brady that strains credulity. Well, then it's a comedy. If I go, it doesn't matter why I'm laughing in the theater. If I'm laughing at Tom Brady, then it's it, it's a good experience. Sure, it's certainly got good buzz. And listen, if since Tom Brady's not in the Super Bowl, maybe their backup plan was for him to, re, you know, quote unquote, retire this week. <laughs> also, Guy Fieri is in this movie. Have you watched the trailer? It's like a while ago. Yeah, yeah. It's like a string of old people cliches. There's like, of course, the scene where the the old lady accidentally takes drugs and has a drug trip. And There's then a dance like, number with all of them. <laughs> there is a dance number. <laughs> oh, maybe you and I should go see this movie together. <laughs> Although I might, I might need to accidentally take some drugs in advance. All right, that's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Boris Kitt. I want to thank producer Craig Holbeck. And I want to thank you. We will see you next week. 